It is true that the death penalty has survived in America, uh, not in spite of Christians, but because of us. I mean, it wouldn't stand a chance uh, without the, the Christians. 85% of executions happen in the Bible Belt. Today's guest is Shane Claiborne. Shane is an activist, agitator, and author. His most recent book, Beating Guns, has seen him tour across America, turning guns into garden tools. Shane has worked with Mother Teresa in Calcutta, founded the Simple Way community in Philadelphia, and he heads up Red Letter Christians, a group of people who are committed to living as if Jesus meant the things that he said. Let's jump into today's episode with Shane and Jared. I grew up in Tennessee, which is down south. You know, a lot of folks here call that the Bible Belt. So you'd think I grew up immersed in the Bible, but the the truth is... um, uh, I, I my dad died when I was um, pretty young, and my um, I grew up with my mom, and she's my best my best friend. You know, like real we're really tight. Um, but she also was working full time, so she had someone take care of me that I always called Nanny Yates, and she was this uh, beautiful, wise kind of grandmother figure. I had wonderful grandparents, but uh, Nanny Yates was the first one that I can remember sitting down and reading the Bible with me while my mom was teaching school. And mm. um, and my mom says that she thinks that that's when, uh, you know, you're so little, you don't even, you can barely remember it, but, you know, you started to absorb some of that, uh, the, you know, words of, of, of God and the scripture. And so that's, that's where I think I first got introduced. Wow. That's beautiful. And it's amazing listening. She just died recently too, Nanny. Oh, she's like a hundred and so, well, I mean, she's, she's, she's just, yeah, she was, that's she, good she, yeah, dude, that's, right. That's, I mean, that's why you get so. You're century. You're doing pretty well. Yeah. That's incredible. So she was, she was a beautiful woman. Yeah. Wow. And it, it's been amazing, like just asking a few people how those who have positive takes on the Bible have been taught to read in the loving warmth embrace of somebody else who read it with those eyes. And yeah. um, that's a that's an incredible gift. So on the spectrum of oppressive or liberating, were they even terms that um, would be helpful in describing how you engage scripture initially? Uh, well, you know, I, I, I kind of think of there's there's some images in the scripture that it's like food for our soul, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I kind of think of like my experiences with food are <laughs> both good and terrible. And in fact, sometimes you can have the same dish made by one person that makes you sick, you know, yeah. and, and another person makes it beautiful. So I, I, I think it, my experience with scripture, I've, you know, I've, I've been beat over the head with it. I've seen scripture abused uh, to uh, not liberate and to, to scare people to death of God and, you know, everything else. But I, I've also seen it incredibly liberating. So uh, I don't know it's hard to, hard to rate it because it's such a um, pendulum swing between those, you know. Mm-hmm. But but I, I would definitely say I've, I've seen it used both ways. And I love the Bible. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess at the end of the day, I'm going to put it up there at a, at a niner uh, on the liberating scale. That's I think awesome. I, yeah, I've seen so many people set free, even when what people are who just keep leaning in, mm-hmm. like are able to hear past the noise of televangelists and you know uh all the all the garbage of christendom they they yeah. hear the liberation and i mean the, the black church in america is this amazing example of that yes. you know i think they would probably put it off the charts of, of the scale <laughs> of liberating and yet like it was white folks that were 
uh, lynching them and doing the most horrific things with the Bible in their hand and going yeah. to a potluck at church afterwards, you know. So, Goodness. Yeah. But, well, hopefully, like, you know, here we are in the fast food nation and yet um, the the slow, homegrown, like the the breakfast you made, Don and I, this morning. Cheers. Um, yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and your dear chooks in the backyard and even just walking down the shops to get the batteries and seeing what uh, the simple way and friends in this neighborhood. I thought doing. we were going to have to buy that whole case. The fellow got out like a big case of batteries. I was like, geez, I've got $4 and quarters in my hand. And he's like, oh, no, I'll sell you two of them. So it's great. Um, yeah, it's a I mean, beautiful way of relating to food. Like we literally walk past this neighborhood sharing with one another and redistributing food. With right, one right. And, and that's a very different way of relating to food in how it's related to generally in the society where, you know, it's billboards and uh, uh, lit up um, fast food chain signs and right. the rest. And we've had stuff out of your backyard and stuff frozen in your freezer, just fresh produce and all the rest. And um, I wonder what it is to engage Holy Scripture in the same way where we distribute it with each other on street corners instead of crazy power dynamics where it's me giving to you and, and not us giving to each other. And yeah, we have fast faith as well. Yeah, it's so. true, isn't it? Yeah, geez, we got drive-in theaters now to go to church and stuff. You got yeah. all kinds of, uh, um, I, I, there's a language I came up for. I, I think that we, we, we have a way of gorging ourselves on all this like Christian stuff, but we still end up pretty malnourished, you know, yeah. like we, we end up buying all these books and, you know, bumper stickers and stuff, and uh, but but it never around. never even really uh, uh, sinks into us, and and it, it it's it, it is almost like a spiritual kind of uh, disorder, I think, where we end up malnourished but overconsumptive, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're doing we're doing the slow the slow uh, food Bible study this morning. <laughs> yeah. So in in terms of what. Out of your experience of, um, uh, because opening up this book and trying to take it seriously has meant that uh, you've relocated your life to places where um, people don't expect hope and yet hope is found. Yeah. um, And where it can grow um, in soil that people don't expect much from and on footpaths that uh, people previously just thought curses belonged on and all the rest. How... Out of this experience, which I guess started for you when you were in uni, yeah, university. Uh huh. What, what of this? Um, uh, you have small is beautiful written behind you, but what out of this um, small is beautiful journey for you would you gift others when they open up the Bible? What what kind of lenses um, out of that experience would you say in terms of reading the scriptures in ways that don't look like the consumption fast faith yeah. through experience? What how can how can we grow faith in our backyard and read mm-hmm. the Bible in ways where it's um, organic and homegrown instead of uh, mass marketed? Well, I I, I think that uh, I mean I went to school a half hour from where we are right now from mm-hmm. you know the neighborhood here and and, the, and it's it's night and day as far as like the economics and you know a lot of the dynamics of those of the two neighborhoods, but. Uh, uh, even folks around Philadelphia call this neighborhood the Badlands. 
um, and I always correct them, you know, <laughs> I always say, it's exactly what they said in Nazareth, you know, yeah. so be careful when you call someone, say nothing good could come out of there. You hear yeah. somebody call place a s-hole, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, we, but we know better, you know, God is, is there and God has a, a special way of showing up in, in places that we least expect it. And, and we've absolutely found God here, you know, it's mm-hmm. our 20th, my 20th year living here and, um, I've I've learned so much, uh, and 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 I think when it comes to scripture, one of the things I would say is that uh, what we receive from scripture often has everything to do with where we read it and who we read it with. Yes. And so our brother Bob Eckblad, you know, he wrote yeah. this beautiful book, um, reading the Bible with the damned, and and that that's kind of the whole idea is that we we. Um, our politics, our theology, uh, a, a lot of things are shaped by whatever we see out the window. And, and I think like scriptures, that's also true where we, we kind of uh, get things out of it based on our experience and in, 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 in our location and social location and, and even the people that are teaching it, you know, yeah. they're, they're pulling different things out of it. So if you um, read the story of the rich man and Lazarus with a, uh, uh, wealthy folks or even middle class folks, you get something different than if you're reading it with poor folks that have been locked out. You know, <laughs> so yeah. you're immigrants right now in this country. They're gonna totally. see something different. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So I mean that that relocation, it comes with pitfalls, yeah. The uh you spend time in the gospels and even the model of Messiah that is offered to Jesus, and it's usually demons that are calling him Messiah, uh, naming who who he is and he's mm-hmm. like, shut up, keep it on the down low. Um, and Jesus seems to reject a Messiah model where um, uh, he dishes out easy answers and finds, oh, there's your sweet puppy in the background, <laughs> and gives the expectations that um, people expect. And yet we have um, sincere um, uh, middle upper class people wanting to go on this journey, and yet we show up with Messiah complexes and seeking to be saviors sometimes, which isn't how Jesus ironically was a Messiah or save. How how do we engage scripture in such ways where we see that stuff instead of this um, very good, very earnest, very sincere um, mm. uh, way where we rock up and think that um, we're going to transform others when it's actually us who needs saving in this process as well? Mm. Well, one of the the my, my favorite scriptures. It, it wasn't necessarily the one I was going to look at this morning, but the the is is there's there's an encounter where um, John. It's in, it's in Luke's gospel, I think, chapter seven, where John the Baptist is in prison, and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus if he's the one they've all been waiting for, and um, this kind of terminology that was really clearly pointing to, you know, are you the Messiah? Are you yeah. the one? You know, and, and Jesus's response to that is beautiful. He, he doesn't say yes. He says, go tell John what you see and what you hear. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, let my life speak for itself. You yeah. know, the evidence and, and is there. And and to me, it's very typical of Jesus is that he, he is um, not ordering people. You know, he's not walking up to people going, "Hey, I'm the Son of God." You know, what's your name? And and uh, uh, and, and like you said, when people figure it out, he goes, Shh, "You know, let everybody, let other people figure it out." Yeah. And and there's something about the the intrigue and the mystery mm-hmm. of that that I think we have a lot to learn from. Um, 
because we've been so forceful, you know, like if you died right now, would you go to heaven or hell? You know, and you're like, wow, you know, like I, I, um, I think Jesus is, is, uh, what he does so beautifully, um, is spread the, the gospel and spread who he is by fascination rather than by force. Yeah. And, um, and, and the problem is that I think a lot of us have very little to show beyond our words and t-shirts and bumper stickers, yeah. you know? So, uh, we, we, if, if you said, uh, uh, you know, if someone asked if you're a Christian, can we say, tell me what you see and what you hear? You yeah. know, I can write anything on paper, but like, does my life, um, you know, whisper of God's love mm. does, does, does the light shine through the brokenness of my life? Mm. And that, that's what we've really, you know, been after and believed in. And, 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 uh, you know, our friend Richard Rohr, he says the best critique of what's wrong is the practice of something better, mm. you know? So when we see a Christianity that has become sort of a belief only Christianity that known, that's known more for its doctrines than by its lifestyle or practices. Like the way to correct that is to go deeper, you know, and, yeah. and to do good theology, to um, try to do disciplines of our faith that exercise those muscles and help us um, live better. You know, I, I was with this, uh, hearing these kids in a children's sermon, they said, what do you want to do when you grow up? One of the kids said, I want to be a saint. <laughs> You're like, yes, that's a, like, that's beautiful. That's a good life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me ask um, direct questions that you can uh, skirt around because they're, they're rude questions. But one of the things I find most beautiful about your life is that while, while doing that and while having such a sharp critique of, um, uh, you know, the outward forms of godliness that lack this beauty and power, um, that your life isn't marked by self-righteousness or condemnation or judgment, but a gentleness and a humility and um, a confession. What what has been different in terms of, while at the same time, um, your actual economic practice? And do you make that public in terms of, like, how you, uh, yeah, what I, you live I, on and all that? Because I think that's most, some of the most confronting stuff is what you do live, and yet... Hmm. Um, without bashing people over the head with it or saying that everybody must. You just, you get on with it in the most beautiful way and, like, you make us laugh as you do it, Shane. Like, and for Aussies, like, that's so disarming for mm. us because, um, A, we don't care what people say until we see what they live and, B, if you can get us laughing, we'll probably listen. And you do all of that so well. How do you stay in that space where... Um, uh, you don't lose hope, you don't become hard, you don't become cynical, you don't become judgmental, you, you don't forget to laugh, um, and yet you still keep giving your life away, even financially, in ways that um, is everything we didn't hear in the State of the Union last night in this country. Well, I, I think we're all recovering narcissists, yeah. uh, you know, and uh, there's a, um, I saw a really... Um, a funny picture of Donald Trump kissing himself. Um, <laughs> you know, there's that painting of Kanye kissing himself. So I think, like, yeah, I think that that, that um, uh, in in one sense, it's it's uh, we're we're all sort of in our world is so oriented around. Uh, we we've got so much that uh, fuels that nowadays with yeah. social media and all these other things. You know, like, um, um, but uh, I I guess that when I look at 
the people that I admire, like those who are gone, you know, the saints and also those that are still alive, what I've seen over and over is that they're looking for the deepest darkness within themselves mm-hmm. and they're trying to pull the best of God's light and redemption, even out of their enemies and out of people who they disagree with. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's what like saints are made of, you know, like, yeah. like they're, they're very, and even Mother Teresa, like they're in touch with this deep um, loneliness in themselves and this brokenness. They I look in the mirror of their soul a lot, you know, yeah. and I think other folks look in the mirror, <laughs> yeah. but, but they're, but you know, and, and, and when you look at some of the most, unhealthy people that have done horrible things in the world they've acted like there's no darkness inside of them they never say they're sorry um they find the enemy out there you know and they're trying to rid the world of evil i mean this is the kind of stuff hitlers are made of you know where where they're the enemy is totally outside and the good is totally inside. And yeah. certainly America is an exemplary model of that right now where you would think we could do no wrong. Um, and we are, we are God's instrument to rid the world of evil, you yeah. know? So I think that that's, that's toxic, like really dangerous theology. And, and there's a nationalistic side, but there's a personal side that's too, a, yeah. you know? Like and I that, think and, of that child um, saying that they want to be a saint. And one of the phenomenal things about that is, most kids just want to be a celebrity and not uh-huh. necessarily for anything. And we're talking about kids, but like, you know, even in ourselves, like we set off with the best intentions and then find ourselves part of systems that want to turn us into something. And, and sometimes where I'm all too ready to go, yes, until you feel life drain out of you and you're like, oh my goodness, I was just trying to follow Jesus. How did I end up here? Yeah. Like, um, in yeah. both the good places and the bad places. How did I end up here? Yeah, and 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 so one of the things I would say personally is is that community uh, has been uh, the balm, the healing balm for some of that narcissism. Um, we kind of see each other at our best and at our worst. And by community, I mean like for years and years, I lived in the same house with a dozen other people. Now I live in the same village, you know, yeah. like when we've got multiple houses, but we're still trying to do life really deeply, you know, deep together. And um, we say one of the most holy things we can do is confess and say yeah. we're sorry to each other. And another thing that we can do is straight talk, talk directly with each other. Mm-hmm. If, if you've been hurt or offended, don't talk or, uh, around people. Don't yeah. go Facebook about it. Like, actually yeah. talk to each other. And, and I think those are very uh, holy practices that our world needs, and they've been ancient practices for the church. Um, um, uh but then, you know, even things like how, much, how many days a month I travel, mm-hmm. like what my living income is, all those things like I discern with my community and, and now yeah. my wife and my, you know, but my core friends too all kind of help me um, say yes to the right things. And we, we do that for each other, you know, but, uh, but I think I need that in, in my particular vocation. Um, uh, yeah, I remember one experience where Harvard had had a speaker uh, cancel and they called at the last minute and, and um, my speaking days were full for the month and mm-hmm. I but I, I brought it up to the my little um, small group you know and said hey this is Harvard and uh, <laughs> they, they said Harvard will be there next year and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know they were right Harvard called next year but I think saying no to that was I, I don't know that I would have done that on yeah. my own you know yeah. and um, so uh, yeah and it, it's it's a it's not kind of it's sometimes that kind of stuff can be like whoa that doesn't sound um, 
like accountability, like who wants that, you know, but, mm. but we think we have this kind of facade that we're free, but we're actually in bondage to some of, sometimes the very things that we love most begin yeah. to hold us hostage yes. and things like speaking or, or like, uh, uh I mean, there, there's so many things I think that, that we end up, uh, um, we, we think that we are free, but we're really, um, uh, held hostage to materialism or to lust or to um, uh, any number of things that begin, yeah, that that begin to um, make us feel our value outside of God or they um, uh, begin to own us, you know, Mm -hmm. things that we, um, I mean, some of my friends that have struggled with alcohol, they said, you um, you, you, you take a sip and then you take a drink and then the drink takes you. Yeah. Um, and you become the drink. And yeah. I, I think that's, you know, is a metaphor of alcohol, but it's a metaphor of so many different things that mm-hmm. like they, they start making promises to us. And then before long they own us and, um, you know, power can do that. I think money can do that. All kinds of things can do that. Yeah, so, for yeah. sure. How, how has reading scripture in a community like that changed the way that you've engaged? Well, we've got a great thing here in Philly that my my friends uh, started, but you know, about the same time we were getting going at Simple Way, uh, they started a deal called the Alternative Seminary, and uh, and the idea was that we need to read Scripture together. Um, that and and the more diverse our table is, the wiser we are mm-hmm. um, as we read a Scripture. You know, and and the model is that everyone is a teacher, and everyone's a learner. So we've had folks that have written books and that are scholars in scripture uh, sitting next to folks that don't know how to read, you know, and, and folks that have our CEOs sitting right next to folks that are um, coming out of uh, prison or that are living on the streets. And the, um, it kind of looks like the community of Jesus, you know, <laughs> like, and, and I think that um, is one of the first places that I really began to feel um, the Bible come alive because of who I was reading it with, you yes. know, and, and we read, we actually did a Bible study on um, uh, economics right here, but we did it in an abandoned house. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, uh, a house that was kind of under construction that we had gotten for $1. And we, but, <laughs> but where we were doing it was all a part of the richness, I think, of what we were, were reading about. So we'd read stories like The Rich Ruler, um, and we'd read, you know, the rich man and Lazarus, and we were hearing different things because uh, all around us are folks that are homeless and that yeah. are struggling, and even at our table are folks that are coming out of homelessness. So, yeah, yeah. so that was that was one of my first uh, places that I really uh, began to uh, rekindle the love for Bible study and Scripture. Mm. That's so powerful. Um, what passage have you chosen to help us read well, in, in well, ways that turn the world upside down? There's a lot of the you know scriptures that I, I love, and today I thought we could look at one that um, uh, I heard over and over. It's one of the most well-known passages uh, out there, um, and uh, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mm. So I thought we could uh, kind of pray we would have fresh eyes and ears to, to see new things with it, but mm. read that. And it may not be familiar to some people, but others yeah. say, you know, they may have heard it a million times. So, Or, or at least bought clothes from the good Sammies and wondered, what, what's <laughs> yeah, that about? That's right. so, if nothing else, it's an introduction to what that's about. Yeah. 
the parable of the Good Samaritan, as it's often called. This is from Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus, and he said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? Jesus said. He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on him oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him, and when I return I will will reimburse you for any expense you may have had. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? So then he uh, says to this man, Go and do likewise, Jesus says. So I, I I think this parable is a it's kind of a parable for our time if if we really lean into it and see that it's it's a parable of abuse it's a parable of violence um, um, and it's a parable um, uh, of of uh, folks that avoided uh, any sense of responsibility and and looked the other way and went the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, you know sometimes we we focus on the uh, the the people who pass by, and I think that that's that's you know it's worthwhile thinking about for a minute that the the people you would think hopefully would be most likely to respond don't you know they um, uh, a priest and a Levite kind of quintessential you know uh, religious guy they yeah. they they um, they both. Um, um, pass by on the other side, and, and I, I've often given those guys a hard time, you know, and said they were probably late to a church board meeting, you know, or whatever. But one of my friends is like, maybe, maybe they were just scared, you know. I mean, yeah. I mean, we've we've had stuff happen sure in our neighborhood yeah. where where folks are are scared. There's the, the people that did that are probably still around here somewhere, you know. Like we, um, so uh, for whatever reason, maybe it was fear, maybe it was. Um, that they were self-righteous and didn't want to touch, you know, a body that might make them unclean. I don't know all their motives, but mm-hmm. what is celebrated in the story um, is the Samaritan, you know, who uh, we, we, we lose the scandal of that, you know. Yeah, but, tell us uh, about what, what's the Samaritan? Well, the Samaritans were one of the most ostracized people groups in the world. Um, and, and uh, especially like in the, in the, uh, Jewish community, you know, they they were seen. Uh, there was a dual complexity. It was both an ethnic thing that they were as a mixed race. So there was a, that part, and they were also um, it was theological. There were some things that Samaritans believed that that you know Orthodox uh, uh, 
community, Jewish community didn't believe about how you worship, where you worship. And so those two things were enough that folks wouldn't even walk through the town of Samaria, you yeah. know, and, and, and if you look at the geography, they went way out of their way you know, to avoid them. So, so this is the person that responds though. And, um, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, hesitant to make a moral like uh, equivalence to today, but I think that's part of the beauty of a parable is you can think of uh, whoever this is, you know, is it a sexual minority or is, is this person a, uh, you know, Muslim or immigrant or whatever, you know, like I think there's plenty of things that we could think about, but that's part of what's beautiful in this story is Jesus is saying this person responds and that's the point. Um, and Joan Chittister, um, she has a, you know, Sister Joan, she's a uh, just fireball, you know, uh, nun. And one of the things that she says is if you look at Jesus, one of the things he most consistently does is include the excluded and challenge the chosen. Wow. And so what he's doing exactly that, you know, right. is these people that thought they had the corner on the market when it came to religious things and um, when it came to where God is at work in the world. I yeah. mean, the priest and the Levite, would, that, that's where it was at, you that's know, according to a lot of people. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it's possibly why they're not getting involved is because how am I going to be of use to my community if I am become unclean, if the body's dead? Right, or, right. Like, um, so not just the selfish motives or even just an understandable fear, but actually I've, I'm to serve this community. It's like being on your way to preach a sermon or something and do I stop and help them and be late for this service where I'm like, there's that kind of complexity right, in the text right. as well, right? Absolutely. And actually one of, the, one of the best sermons I've heard on this was actually our brother Billy out in uh, Australia um, yeah. that he, he talked as an Aboriginal uh, person Christian about this is as he says you know folks would call me a half breed but uh, th- this story celebrates you know me and yeah. and you know and, and so I, I think um, that um, so the 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 Samaritan responds and the Samaritan is celebrated for the compassion that they show and, and you think of this in this world what does that look like you know um, and and what we often don't notice though is is the person in the ditch and just a few thoughts about that or um, scholars say that the two things that would have identified that person have been stripped away yeah so one is that they're stripped naked yes. and and so their clothing could have helped identify you know who they are where they're from um, and then the other is that their language it says that they're left half dead or unconscious yeah. um, so we don't know their their uh, dialect or language or religion or anything and that, and maybe that's exactly the point you know many yeah. would suggest is that all we know is that this was a human being mm. this is a person made in the image of god we don't know their sexual orientation or their uh, religious affiliation or you know well, what ethnicity we don't know yeah. yeah we don't know we don't have their papers <laughs> you know <laughs> all that we know is that they matter to god yeah and um and, and so I, I think that, that there's something in that that says to us today, like the, these issues that we think about have to become personal. Um, and what the movement for black lives has done is they put names um, on the people in the ditch, you know, Tommy Rice, uh, yes. uh, you know, Trayvon Martin, um, Michael Brown and Freddie Gray. And, and so we know these these names, you know, um, and part of our job, I think, is is to uh, humanize um 
these these people that are suffering the violence, the economic violence, the political violence, uh, whether they are, you know, immig- immigrants are not uh, an issue to debate. They're people to love, you know. And, and so, like, how do we um, put names and faces on that? And that's the that's the work that we've been t- trying to do around gun violence, around yeah. the death penalty, around immigration is to say, like, um, this is a, a, a our modern calling is to like notice those who are being pushed aside and beat up by whoever it is, and we don't know who beat them up either. Yeah. You know, um, could have been the police. You know, it yeah. could have been a band of robbers. You know, it yeah. says, we, we, but but we what we know is that there are people that are are suffering deeply, and at the end of the day, one of the um, the the most important evidences of our faith, of our true faith, is how. It moves us with compassion, even at an inconvenient time. You know, yeah. uh, I, I I often say people get beat up at very inconvenient times. <laughs> you know? um, and so, the do we have room for interruptions in our lives? And 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 that that's I think the the invitation of this passage is also that I'm sure the Samaritan was on his way somewhere too, and you know had some things he uh, needed to do, and yet he allows someone else's suffering and crisis to hijack his day schedule, you know, and to like allow him to be moved in compassion. And and so you look at the gospels and over and over, there are these interruptions. Um, Jesus is on his way somewhere and someone pulls on his shirt or they ran out of wine at their wedding or their daughter is sick. And so he's constantly being interrupted. And that's the very thing that in our highly routinized, you know, like scheduled lives. Yeah. We have no room for the interruption. And I, and I think at this moment in history in particular, there are a lot of people who suffering in the ditch should interrupt uh, our schedules. Yeah. 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 And that whole thing that divine appointments usually show up as interruption to our human schedules. And yeah, that's a, that's a pretty crazy challenge when so much of importance in some parts of society are determined on how busy you are and business is a form of social holiness for the secular the business is um uh your wanted places and uh a full calendar means that you know it's that sense of importance and all the rest again that um are hard things to die to at least i find it hard yeah, I, I want to be perceived as important, Shane. Like, you know yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah. Like, I, I find it, I find it really, and again, maybe the importance of of community is um, people that. Well, yeah, we we started talking about uh, where and you read scripture and who you read scripture with is important. I think this story also has something to say to us about where we walk um, mm. and and where we locate our lives. The the. The, the parable of the Good Samaritan would have never happened if people weren't walking down streets where people get beat up. Yeah. And a lot of our culture has moved away from those streets. And the, the, the dominant patterns of sprawl and suburbia and things like that are actually entirely oriented about getting out of neighborhoods where people get beat up or there's people that don't look like us or there's high crime. And yet the, the gravity of the gospel pulls us into those places, like into that suffering to um, be God's hands and feet to do something about people who are in the ditch. Well, so I, you know, I think that we're used to putting ourselves in different characters that are often, uh, um, for, for me, like in this story, I read it from the person who 
is passing by rather than the person in the ditch, you know, and, and, uh, I think our social location has everything to do with which characters we, we kind of, yeah. yeah. And, and that changed for me, um, when, uh, I had a different experience. I mean, there's been several of them where I've actually identified more with the person in the ditch, but the most poignant I think was when we were leaving Iraq and you yeah. know, some of this story, but, um, the brief version was we were driving from, Baghdad to Jordan and we had a car accident um, and uh, it was a very bad car accident and and pretty much everybody was injured um, and two of my friends really badly and there was no traffic you know that we could wave someone down there was uh, uh, we're in the middle of the desert there's uh, um, uh, well you can't call 911 you know you can't yeah. call the emergency line or something you know? yeah. so, uh, and then the the first car that passed us by um, picked us up and it was filled with these Iraqi men. They drove us into a town and they immediately got us to the hospital. And these Iraqi doctors came out and they saved our lives. Mm. And, um, and as they did it, um, they said, when we saw you, we don't see American or Christian or we just see our own flesh and blood, our Mm. own brothers and sisters. And, we hope that if you found us in a ditch, you would do the same Just thing. We were literally in a ditch. Our car flipped over <laughs> in a ditch. And, um, and, and we laughed, but it was really serious. Like, yeah. We didn't get help. Right? And, and, and we even later, um, you know, we tried to pay them. Mm. And they, they laughed at us. And they said, we want you to know that there's no other motive for us taking care of you except that we love you. And all that you can do is tell uh, that story. Mm. Um, of what we did for you and that's enough thanks and we you know uh, incredibly got to go back and reconnect and visit them and retell mm. the story and and you know I think that that um, but that's where I realized man this this is uh, there's many more layers of this story you know yeah. and and, um, and, and, and and I think that can be really important particularly for those who have like at this conference I just spoke at um, uh, one of the speakers I was like I think what you're describing isn't following Jesus. It's just human decency, and it doesn't take the gospel. Like it, it just takes being decent and empathetic and compassionate. But the gospel will help us recover that in ourselves and create a, a culture of that and an imagination for that if if we surrender it. But the humbling thing about that experience is much like for the young lawyer who bowls Jesus up with this question is um, being in a context where the Samaritans aren't the ones who are supposed to be good at this. Like, isn't that our thing? Isn't that the um, the corner on the market, as you put it, that, that we have? And to encounter cultures where um, somebody who is different and you have been taught is other and, uh, and they're better at being what you're called to be than you and don't make a deal about. Like, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. incredibly humbling. Like, yeah. Well, even when we told the story, my friend Sammy Rasuli, who founded the uh, Muslim Peacemaker Teams, yeah. he's a dear, dear friend. And um, when we told the story, he says, one gentle suggestion, when you tell the story of the one that I just told you, he said, make sure you don't make it extraordinary. Because yeah. this wasn't just about this special town of Root, but it would have happened like anywhere we had hit. Yeah, yeah. he said. And uh it was really, really interesting because when, when we went back and we're talking to these folks, I told them this story, the Good Samaritan. You know, I said, this is one of the core 
stories of that Jesus told in the gospel, and they said, this is also one of the core values of Islam. Yeah. And they started quoting the Quran to me, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, realizing that that, uh, um, that that is one of the scandals of this story is that the religious folks <laughs> are yes. the ones that, that didn't know how to act. Yes. And, and this other person who certainly may have not have fa- uh, passed a doctrinal test to get into heaven, like, um, his compassion mm. is what Jesus uh, applauds and celebrates. And um, at the end of the day, I don't know. You know, that's why why the scripture is so clear that it's not for us to decide who's in and who's out. Yeah. You know, uh, but that we we um, we we actually look at stories like Jesus's Matthew twenty five, and all of us gather before God and. And and some people, it's like they don't even know what they're doing. You know, yeah. it's like when did we, you know, take care of you? And, yes. and they just did it. Yeah. You know, and uh, as as uh, Desmond Tutu says, we're all going to be very surprised who we spend eternity with. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> uh, great. Which is, I mean, the way that Scripture has within it um, the things that would very that would undo the dynamics that. Um, those that hold it think they're special or better are actually written into there. Like the, um, it, it's it's like part of the the coding mm. <laughs> is is a is a virus that humbles you um, when it does come to um, in a nation where a Christianity is exported and, and we can see it waking up early um, in Australia and you turn on the television and it's without pay TV you can see it and there's um, uh, people with accents not dissimilar to yours uh, in in big stadiums, um, which is their regular church buildings, and they're using this to other and to um, uh, create reasons not to love others and all the rest. How how do you stay in a place where this is still so dear to you and names you and gives you both fuel? and fire and um, a framework for imagination and rethinking your life, while at the same time people who claim the same labels, call themselves the same thing, um, use it to do the other thing. How, how do you keep loving them, Shane? Well, I, one, one thing is I, I get a lot of courage and hopefully grace and patience from the fact that this is nothing new. Mm. Um, that Jesus's harshest words, um, like brood of vipers. Um, (laughs) I don't know how how you call someone a brood of vipers in love, but he managed (laughs) to do it. I'm convinced, you know, I'm not going to quite use that language, but, um, but like those, that was not for, uh, people on the margins. That was for people at the center of the hub of religiosity. Uh, and, uh, and, and he, he actually says like, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom ahead of you. Mm. And, and we wonder what got him in trouble. Like, yeah. like you know, and, and he's not condoning prostitution or the Roman tax collecting system. I think yeah. he's going like the most toxic thing in the world is your self-righteousness. Yeah. And it's going to kill your soul, yeah. you know. And um, I think that is w- that's one of the demons that we battle in America. Um, we have this sense that we heard, you know, those that listened and those that didn't, you didn't miss much, but those that listened to the State of the Union Address, you know, like you hear this sense that like America's got this messianic, you know, kind of vocation in the world Mm -hmm. and 
we're um, a bright light. Yeah, Jesus you know, might have rejected yeah. it, but yeah. we're all for it. Like, <laughs> I mean, we've even had presidents say things like, um, the America is the light of the world. The darkness Lust, will not overcome right, it. Right. You're like, there's a, there's a Bible verse sort of like that, but it actually doesn't say America. It says yeah. Jesus. You know, but um, we yeah. are a city upon a hill, like America likes to use that for itself. Right. Well. Yeah, that, yeah. And so I, I think that that what um, what what's so important though is to keep coming back to Jesus. You know, yeah. and and our our, our brother Reverend um, Barber um, William Barber, he says. When we when we lose our focus on Jesus, we end up talking a lot about things Jesus didn't talk about. Yeah. And we 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 don't talk about things Jesus talked a lot about. Mm. You know, and that I think is why, you know, at Red Letter Christians and the other work that we're doing, we're constantly coming back uh, to Jesus. Because mm. um, uh, I'm I'm very aware, like um, with the work that you're pouring your life into around the death penalty. It's it's the places where there's the most churches where they're most for the death penalty in this country, right? Yeah, like, it's very very troubling. Than trees and yeah, right. a, a company like um, almost like a, a bloodlust um, to see people executed. Yeah, the the death penalty. One of the reasons I got in that, you know, dove into that is it it's a way of putting your finger on a much bigger problem, and it is about the death penalty. But you're right; it's about all uh, this this other kind of um, things that come out of that 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 reveals to us. You know, for instance, like it, it is true that the death penalty has survived in America. Uh, not in spite of Christians, but because of us. I mean, it wouldn't stand a chance uh, without the the Christians. Eighty-five percent of executions happen in the Bible Belt. Wow. So that very area that I grew up in, half of them are in Texas. So where where Christians are most concentrated is where the death penalty continues to survive. Now, what's also true um, is that those are the former slaveholding states that also justified slavery. Um, with the Bible, and uh, where racism is still very real. If you look at the concentration of hate groups, yeah. they're often in those same places where there's tons of Christians. You yes. know, it's, it's, it's absolutely um, repugnant, you know, and, and, and Frederick Douglass, I mean, he put his finger on that, you know, and he, when he essentially said that, uh, you know, I, I see no reason to call the religion of this, this land Christianity. Mm. I love the Christianity of Christ, uh, but I hate the Christianity of this land. It looks so unlike Christ. Mm -hmm. um, justifying slavery, demeaning women, all of these things that have been done. So, um, so yeah, I think we, we keep pointing back to Jesus, but we also get courage that this is something that is very old, this religiosity that camouflages uh, itself, you know, and, and, and it has, it's, it's actually underneath it all, there's a sense of self-righteousness and um, even bigotry and racism and hatred that that is underneath that. Um, uh, so, 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 but what what is at stake? I think is actually um, one of the truest uh, uh, deviations of the the um, Ten Commandments. Like, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Mm. You know, I mean, Donald Trump literally said, um, 
the banner is in in God we trust. It's on our money. You know, yes. it's in everything we say. It is at the last line of every pre- presidential address is God bless, bless America. America. Um, and you you kind of begin to see that that's exactly what it is, is taking the Lord's name in vain. Like you know, Wendell Berry says, our money can say in God we trust, but our economy looks like the seven deadly sins. <laughs> you know, like, don't bring God into this, yeah. you know. Like, don't, don't ask God to bless America if America is not blessing immigrants and refugees yeah. and the poor and uh, yeah, children that don't have health care, you know. Um, so it, it's not that this nation doesn't know the Bible, right? Like, I think that we we know the Bible like the the Levite and the priests knew the Bible. Like we we know it in our head, but we don't know it in our heart. And and uh, um, I mean. That's the. It, 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 some would say that actually, what has happened to us is that it it has inoculated us. Yeah. Like when you get a vaccine, mm. it's it's a small dose of the disease. Mm. Um, and I think with the the beautiful um, uh, infection of grace and love in the mm. world, like we've gotten sort of this watered down version of it that can almost inoculate us, so we can yeah. think that we're Christian. Um, but we've we've only had the vaccine, you know, and yeah. and and uh, Kierkegaard said, "Where everything's Christian, nothing's Christian." Christian yeah. <laughs> so so yeah, you know, we've got we've got Christianity plastered on everything, but uh, and we've got we've got guns that have Bible verses on them. Yes. I'm, I'm writing this book on guns, and there's there's a gun called the Crusader that has a Bible verse inscribed on the side, mm-hmm. and you're like. I mean, how much further from Jesus's cross can yeah. we get than a gun with a Bible verse on it? Yeah, the point of the crucifixion isn't, <laughs> this is a good thing. Like, <laughs> we should do some more of this to other people. Yeah. So, And the pastors that are telling people to bring guns to church, are, our buddy uh, Charles Marsh, he wrote this great article that said, you'll love this. He says, he says a, a church with guns is a church that has no martyrs. Like when we replace the cross with a weapon, yeah. we've actually... Uh, absolutely lost the very heart of our faith and yeah. and the entire witness of the martyrs who um didn't you know they they were willing to die but they were not willing to kill yeah yeah totally so people listening shane who would just go shane is obviously a really good bloke and holds up scriptures as a mirror and part of america holds up the scriptures and they see what they want to see and so they see something which you know supported slavery and now supports a new kind of slavery through incarceration of um, disproportionately coloured people over other people and uh, the death penalty being part of that and all the rest. To those who just go, um, Shane's a good bloke, that's why he sees this good stuff there. Um, uh, like, I, I know you well enough to go, mm, no, <laughs> that's not going to be your answer. Yes, yes, I am better than the rest of What What was it in your journey that has... You here now live in the way when I'm sure there's mates that you went to high school with who um, uh, ended uh, at a different set of conclusions about what faith meant. What elements were you introduced to that this book was given back to you in a way that looks like Jesus as opposed to a way that um, is used to discredit what Jesus is actually asking of us? Oh, well, I, I mean, I, th- there's probably a couple of things that have, I, I think the, the, the two things that have really shaped me are um, the people I've hung around. You know, yeah. we, we always, we always uh, 
kind of hear about peer pressure um, as teenagers is a bad thing, but mm. it can be a really great thing. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think that's why why uh, Jesus says where two or three of you gather, I'm with you. I mean, the whole thing's modeled in community. We're sent out in pairs. There's this sense of community that... Um, is is that we we the people that we hang out with they rub off on us yeah. and if we hang out with narcissistic uh, people that watch the Kardashians all the time then that's who we become you know <laughs> like yeah. if we hang out with courageous people generous people like compassionate people then that they also rub off on us that's why some people say how did you get courage I was like man I. I hung out with courageous people. Like yeah. I went to Iraq with an entire team of like yes. almost 50 people, you know, and I never Watson sends his love. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. What a brother, yeah. man. It's people incredible. like that, you yeah. know, it's like, it's like my, my, one of his grandkids, when we were in Iraq, Neville, he said, his grandkids said, Oh, my grandfather's in Iraq. Um, yeah. Why, uh, while the U S bombs them, he wanted to be there with the people. Or yeah. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so um, anyway, but yeah, I think that's true. That that it's and, and so community has been a huge part of my formation and shaping. And and I think there's there's also that sense of like that's the elders that we have too. Mm-hmm. You know, John Perkins and yes. Tony Campolo and um, Dorothy Day from a distance. Yeah. You know, and Kathy Kelly and yes. all of these different folks that have really um, uh, also rubbed off of me. And the saints, a part of why. Um, you know, those who misunderstand think that, you know, Catholics or other folks like worship saints, but you're actually praying with them that, yes. you know, that they would uh, be praying with us and that, that we would remember who they are and that they would rub off on us a little bit. Yeah. You know, the St. Francis's and Romero's and um, uh, all of the great women and men, to, uh, you know, of our faith. So so I, I think that that's, that's a part of what my faith has been shaped by. Um, we tend to become uh, like those that we are... Um, admire and, yeah, and so and it's we, good to have the right heroes we, we learn to desire what those we admire desire as well yeah which is... and, and then you know our, our our whole like centering on jesus is really important too because i think mm. that there is scripture that can feel like it is um has different messages or whatever you know yeah. like uh and and i heard a friend say beautifully he said when when scripture um is seems to be at, at war with each other, Jesus is the referee, you know? So like, that's our sounding board that yep. we keep coming back to. And, and, uh, um, and, and, and Jesus at the end of the day, we don't just have words on paper. We have the word become flesh, you know? And, uh, I, I think that's who I keep looking to when I want to know how to live. I want to yeah. know, um, uh, how to, um, those beliefs, you know, and, and who God is, what does that look like with flesh on? I look to yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Well, we're so thankful for the way that you lot here keep looking and uh, um, your experiments with this humble, beautiful way of, of grace and love and mercy and those terms being taken back as something that can actually provide real alternatives and, and challenge the powers that be um, with a different vision and um, I love you for it and uh, I, I pray for it often and Thanks, I'm man. very thankful for you lot. So keep going. Yeah, man, I'm the same way and you you don't know how much you've uh, rubbed off on us, you know, and you, you I, I feel the exact same way and I think part of what happens is uh, we um, 
we with that scripture says we fan each other's flame. You know, yeah. you kind of remind each other that you're not alone. You stir each other to courage and imagination. And so, uh, I think what you're doing and and the witness that you've had is is had massive ripples for us and all over the world. And so it's it's always fun to be together, man. To hang out is yeah. so great. So for those who are wanting to um, fan flames and stir passion and uh, reimagine. Uh, what's the best way? Executing Grace is out now. Yeah. Um, uh, Irresistible Revolution. Yeah. Which I'm... is such a fun read. My goodness. It, Thanks, dude. It's so funny. Um, like you laugh, you cry, there's your little advert. But it's it's such a like – I, I, I hand it out like I'm making money off it, Shane. It's well, so you great. should be. Maybe you should get a little commission. <laughs> um, the, 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 the fun thing is I, you know, I wrote it 10 years ago, so someone else had the idea. People thought I had this idea, but it was someone else's idea um, to – uh, go back and write, you know, kind of scrap notes in the margins. So I went back and with the original book and added some new pieces and stuff. So that was nice. really fun because, yeah. you know, what you wrote 10 years ago is not necessarily the same way you would say things, you know, now, now and, yeah. uh, and, and added some new little pieces of the stories that, as they worked themselves out over the 10 years, That's you know, awesome. but yeah. yeah, and I'm doing, I'm doing a book on, um, it's on guns called beating guns, but it's also on like kind of the culture of violence and fear. And I'm working with my black, our blacksmith friends that uh, turn guns into plows. So we're going to have a lot of beautiful images. Um, but yeah, folks, I, I try to be uh, pretty uh, uh, active on the Twitter and the Facebook mm. and whatnot too. So folks, you cool. know, around the world can and other find us there influences on us is of course the freedom movement or the civil rights movement and there's places to connect with those who can uh, come to the states but also the catholic worker movement for both you and i has just been hugely influential yeah peter moran and dorothy day's vision and um those uh, uh cranky living and now departed saints from that movement who who challenge and provoke and um uh and so they're things to connect with as well but people can find um yourself on the medias of social as well as uh, in real life, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And we've got uh, a website of community of communities, you yes. know, that's out there. And there's, uh, yeah, like you said, there's incredible communities everywhere that, uh, like I'm getting ready to go down to Koinonia Farm in Georgia, oh, wow. and there's a great convergence happening down there. And wow. one of the I'm things so that... jealous about how there's so much... I mean, I know things are more horrific here than any anywhere else like it, it's yeah um, it's it's so the dark. wheat and the weeds i said it's but just like it's, someone spilled fertilizer it's all growing yeah, like crazy here the yeah. good and the bad but but like clarence jordan's a witness you're about to go to a place where like you know dorothy day visited and was bombed and you know 1940s like it's 15 yeah. years before like rosa parks will ever sit down on a bus and it's an integrated community. And, yeah. And they say it's actually maybe like, what inspired Dr. King with the words that one day the sla- the son the, the children of slaves and slave owners will live together in Georgia. That it may be that Quinn and Neal actually was, gave yeah. them that image. Um, Americas? Is that where it is? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and what Clarence used to say is, is those, those that don't know about the community, it was black folks and white folks that bought land together. And, uh, and this is before any civil rights movement and everything. It was illegal. Their lives were threatened. Like it was unheard of. Mm-hmm. And they said... And Clarence used to say, this is what church is, is what community is, is we're demonstrating the kingdom of God. Mm. We're demonstration plots for the kingdom. And uh, he had a great sense of humor, too. You know, they started a pecan company and they they said, we're mailing the the nuts out of Georgia. (laughs) 
and, uh, yeah, it was great. They at one point uh, they uh, they told him they said we you need to get out of here by uh, sunset because they didn't allow uh, you know uh, white and black folks to be together and stuff. And so he said to, to Clarence, "Y'all got to get out of here by sundown." He said. Uh, we don't let the the sun go down on people like you and you all. And um, and wow. he said, it's, "I'm so pleased to meet you. I've been waiting my whole life to meet somebody that can make the sun stand still." <laughs> <laughs> so I like that. As yeah. well as that stuff, um, I've been talking with Don and uh, my mate John O'Martin and uh, you and Reverend Barber's involved, and I know there's other great leaders around. And I shared with you this word I had about like um, social tenderness and mm. and you're actually wheeling out old school tent revivals for something that is holistic that calls people um, to all the beauty that we see in Jesus and that that beauty can be a reality in in places like you know outside it's America as yeah yeah like um uh, how do people follow where those things are happening? Well, this is brand new, and we're excited about it. We really feel the spirit moving in it, this idea of having some red-letter revivals. You know, we, we talk about the red letters, the words of Jesus and the Gospels, but that we're really going to stay focused on Jesus. Um, and that itself, the proclamation of Jesus' words, um, is a critique of yes. the toxic uh, messages of much of our evangelicalism in this yeah. country. So we want to go the belly of the beast. So we're going to do the first one um, in Lynchburg, Virginia, which for, for many different reasons uh, represents some of that um, mm. um, toxic Christianity. Um, um, and it's also the home of Liberty University, the biggest university, yeah, the- Christian university where Jerry Falwell is the president. He's been, I think, uh, one of the most public and vocal and, um, dangerous, uh, mm. you know, endorsements of the not just Trump, but his policies that are hurting. So you're going somebody. down to so cold We're going to go there. Then we're looking at Dallas. We're looking at a few different wow. ones. But but you know the thing is, it's it's not a stunt. Yes. Um, it's it. Um, there we want to be have a prayerful, worshipful gathering, um, and we also want people to come to a safe place where they can hear about Jesus, and yeah. that's what they're going to hear about. Yes. And I've told everybody I know, like. Bring your friends that um, are unchurched or that have like a really terrible taste for Christianity that have been really hurt by Christians, like bring them. And this is a place where like we really think the spirit's going to move, you know. Um, So, yeah, it's a great awakening. Yeah, I I hope so. So, yeah, pray that the Lord's Lord's will be done and be, and we've got a great team on uh, that is come together in each of these little places yeah, so awesome. and then we're we're collaborators you know I, I love that Jesus's longest prayers that we would be one as God is one and yeah. so we're working with Reverend Barber and Liz Steele Harris on the poor people's campaign that's going to launch so incredible. Um, uh, right after Easter you know and 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 uh, we're going to start to see massive waves of resistance in, a, in an organized fashion in D.C. and around the country. So we'll be, uh, and, and, you know, he calls it a, a moral revival, a, a moral movement. And so we, we really want to um, people to fall in love with God and for that to um, be evidenced <laughs> in policies and in, you know, action. Uh, so, yeah. we're yeah, there's all kinds of good stuff happening, and we're glad at Red Letter Christians to be uh, a little piece of that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Inverse Podcast.